Hello and welcome to Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. Today we're going to be discussing the 2019 drama, Marriage Story. This will contain spoilers. Well, who's? Uh, am I going to do a synopsis then? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, the basic premise of the film is about the two characters, Charlie and Nicole, going through a divorce and obviously trying to work out what's best for their child, Henry. Um, and is... It goes through a lot of different things, so it kind of moves with Nicole moving to LA to uh, follow her acting career, where they, when they previously lived in New York because Charlie owns a theatre company, and they both agreed not to get lawyers involved, but then Nicole does, and everything basically spirals out of control and deteriorates as they both start, uh, you know, fighting for pretty awful things and money that they both don't really deserve uh, and stuff like that. I don't know. It's one yeah. of those where it's not a concrete story that you can just easily explain because it feels very real. Yeah. It's very much like grounded in reality rather than like, I don't know. Some, there's not really any suspension of belief. It's, of disbelief, sorry. Um, it's like it's something. It's just like something very real that could happen to someone, like that you know. And it's more about sort of empathizing with the characters' sides, because like um, I don't really get the impression you're meant to take one side in the story. I think because both because both people are, have made mistakes and are bad people but also they're not mm. terrible like you said um i wouldn't say they're bad people i just say that they have both done bad things yeah who would you say you did empathize more with because for me I, I, it's probably to do with um sort of her being played by the lawyers but nicole sort sort of like manipulates the system and when she sort of um goes to loads of different lawyers, which prevents uh, Charlie from also going to those lawyers. You kind of start to feel more as if she's in control, and even though yeah, a lot of the reason, a lot of the motives behind the divorce seem to initially be of instigated by Charlie. So I think that's one of the key things. It's kind of, as you say, none of them. They're sort of morally ambiguous. You don't really know who, whose side you're on. Mm. I mean, I think 
I personally ended up siding a little bit more with Charlie because of like you know um like Nicole had gone and prevented him from seeing a lot of lawyers and um he was trying to juggle a, a very busy job with wanting to see his kid and things just didn't seem to be working out for him because the kid seemed to prepare seemed to prefer the mother but then also like it's it's not really a very easy thing because there were definitely moments where I'm like Charlie is an asshole. Mm. Um, so yeah. Do you think? Do you think um, your opinion could change depending on what gender you are? Because there have been discussions of this. Yeah, it, it I can mean, just I think... be a subconscious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, relation. Yeah, I think that relationship is definitely apparent with. Uh, Henry and that sort mm. of he clearly takes a side but sort of the opposite way to what we're saying I guess because yeah. he mm. obviously well, there's a scene where uh, Charlie's like observed uh, his parenting and it kind of just deteriorates and I think it's I don't know if it's just sort of a facade that Henry wears when he's trying to please his mum, but I think that definitely is something to do with gender and sort of how you view whose size you, you're on and stuff. Mm. Yeah. And because what's interesting is that the divorce seems to have flipped what led to their marriage breaking up in the first place because you hear that Charlie's gone behind Nicole's back and uh, had an affair and also that he was quite controlling and wouldn't let her do anything that she wanted and now in the divorce you know they both agreed not to use lawyers and then Nicole has gone to a lawyer um, and is kind of forcing Charlie to get an apartment in LA and paying part of her lawyer's fees so yeah. it's uh, I saw it as a kind of flip of what their marriage was supposed to be like. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely see that. I think Charlie was definitely more of the bad guy in the marriage, but then in the divorce proceedings, um, Nicole sort of did the same to him. On mm. well, I think one of the things that kind of really got me was right near the start when Nicole first goes to see Nora. Um, because isn't she actually encouraged to go see a lawyer from someone else? I can't really remember. Yeah, it was her, her sister. Oh, yeah. yeah. So she goes see her, and then Nora kind of... It's, it's kind of like twisting ideologies and, uh, quotes, f feminism to, when, to basically force her to spend a load of money when they may have been able to settle the marriage peacefully. Yeah. And you could see it as part of it was empowerment, but obviously Nora does have the motive of wanting to get paid. And for me, it was almost a statement on the kind of commercialization of beliefs, if you know what I mean, where people can yeah. use politics to sell products. Yeah, the, the, yeah. No, I don't think any of the lawyers, apart from maybe the really old guy, were really, really even pretended to... Well, they pretended, but they didn't really care about 
what was going on. They just wanted to line their own pockets. I think especially Nora, yeah. because she was very much twisting absolutely everything. Well, I, I I wouldn't say especially Nora. I'd say especially the first two that he goes to see and ends up using yeah, in the true. court. <laughs> well, he even admits that. Like he's, he says, like, you're the only lawyer that's actually treating me like a human. Yeah. And I do definitely think that for a lot of them, it is just money that they're that's their main goal for the lawyers. Um, another thing is that the reason that I automatically sort of resonated with Charlie was because um, within the marriage, despite the fact that he seems to be the one who obviously had an affair and he's the one that's blamed for um, a lot of the stuff that goes on, he... He always seems a little bit innocuous and he's it's always just because of his passion for his job and um like one of the for me quite an emotional scene at the start was um after her last performance he he like gives her some notes that he made on yeah. the mistakes she did and you can see that for him his intention isn't really to hurt her feelings, but she obviously has a very different reaction. Whereas with the handling of the divorce, I think despite the fact that there's the lawyers who are involved, it always seems as if Nicole is intentionally sort of um, trying to make Charlie more powerless and... It, it, I don't know, it just sort of seems like it's more premeditated for her. Yeah. I think when they were married, I think he definitely liked to have a lot of control, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, well, especially professionally, because he was a very, very talented director and got, got a genius well, grant for it. the thing is, though, that um, they they did say... Nicole was offered roles in films and TV, which she actually turned down because yeah, yeah. Charlie but, didn't want to move, which could have made them more money. So you can kind of see that Charlie's yeah, but, decisions were kind of final. Yeah, well, but, just what I was saying is the... just that he like he really likes to have control, and that's probably just a part of his personality. Um, mm. And when yeah. everything's flipped on his head, he like completely freaks out because Nicole's in charge um, and he no longer has any say over what happens in his life really also yeah. with the, the thing about her job and her the offering of roles to her there's also obviously the factor of Henry and um, as, as we said he sort of automatically inherently is more loyal to her and I think one of the other key things about Charlie is he's always really defensive anytime that his parents are mentioned because I know at the start she sort of mentions alcohol and violence and he sort of tries to hide that and he tries to uh, revert away from being anything like his own upbringing ultimately He's almost betrayed in a way by his wife and his child. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it sounded like his his own upbringing had a really deep effect on him, and when and when in that like awful scene where they decide they're going to talk it out in um, Charlie's apartment, and it gets into a heated argument, obviously. But when Nicole says you're just like your father, he completely just loses it. Um, mm. And then he he basically just ends up saying really aggressive things, and ends up in tears on the floor. And even um, even Nicole sort of feels bad afterwards as well because she's like sort of comforting him. Uh, I kind of feel that yeah. like yes, they they were both being assholes, but like um, she, even she realised that bringing that up was bad of her and you can kind of guess that he had a really hard time and doesn't want to be compared to someone who made his life so awful. Mm. Yeah. Um, she realises that, that that's the catalyst that will set him off, and yet she still brings it up. So yeah, that's yeah, true. But you do yeah. also have to remember that Charlie, at the end, does say that he wishes she were dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think what basically happened is I think she she brought it up. He completely flipped out, got incredibly angry, said that, and I don't I don't think he meant that she was he wanted her dead purely because like at the end they on seemed to be on pretty good terms. Um, mm. I think he just got completely defensive because she triggered something, um, and. And she she seems to regret it afterwards as well. So I think that's probably just part of the argument, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You say things you don't mean. Well, Although to be fair, how did you? Come. So I was just gonna say, uh, what did you actually think of that scene and the direction and scripting and everything? Because I, it's it's probably one of the best scenes, even if it is also one of the most painful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the fact it's painful is means is one of the factors that makes it one of the best because the direction and the writing is so good and so realistic, I guess. It's yeah. um you can just imagine people actually doing that and the and I think it's also a testament to both of their acting skills because I don't know, I think especially Adam Driver had a great performance there. He really mm. just like brought like a whole emotional depth to the character that you can't help but sympathize with a little bit. Yeah. I think that um for the direction um I think quite a lot of it sort of plays on sort of minimalistic uh, style so which mm. helps enhance the realism of it so like in that scene i think it's quite important that they're sort of just in a plain white room that isn't decorated yet and it sort of um, yeah. heightens this well it, it, it's just sort of everything's bare everything's stripped down and it's just the scene where it's one of the it's the scene where there's just two of them there's nothing else they've, they've both admit that they've um, being offended by the other 
Trump's lawyer, and it is the scene that uh, most accurately presents just their situation without any external factors. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good because there's nothing visually that you really get distracted with um, yeah. on a subconscious level. Your focus is always on them because they're the only like static objects in the room. It's like mm. they're the only ones um, drawing any attention to themselves and... I don't know, I think subconsciously that means um, that, yeah, it's good at enhancing the realism, I guess. There was yeah. also the, the shot just before they're about to start discussing where it's set uh, a fair bit back and you can kind of see there's this large distance between them. Uh, I like that. That was cool. Because <laughs> obviously yeah. to symbolise kind of where they're, they're at because they both have different goals for what they want out of it and obviously they both think they're in the right because Nicole feels like she's been held back by Charlie this whole time um, and she's trying to follow her career which she hasn't been able to but this in turn leads to Charlie feeling like he can't follow his career and it's kind of you know the it's terrible for both of them really yeah yeah there's also quite a few other instances of symbolic imagery. Um, oh, so yeah. It's like, <clears throat> it's the scene where they sort of parallel both of them singing. And also, yeah. um, well, I guess, in a weird way, the end returns to normality and it's a cyclical structure that reflects the start with him reading out the the letter that they each had to write for the therapy um, and I think one of the key things that they emphasised when through the divorce which is probably inevitable in a divorce with a child involved is that they wanted to stay close it, it's not as if they they never hated each other and I think the ending and quite a lot of other shots and images definitely reflected that yeah. Well, it kind of shows that maybe it's the divorce system can actually destroy relationships even more while it's happening. Because obviously yeah. before and after you kind of see that they were fairly happy and then, you know, over this disagreement of, well, I mean, obviously he had an affair, which was uh, always going to end pretty badly. and But Nicole wanting to follow her, her career um instead of just separating fairly peacefully uh they're forced through this kind of hell of they both have they both have to paint themselves each other as the villain so that they can uh not get destroyed you know so that all their assets aren't taken from them yeah there's so, also that tension near the start where um when Charlie was going to the, uh, I've his name, the, the bad lawyer. Um, <laughs> and he was explaining his situation. He was like adamant that, no, 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 no Nicole wouldn't do these things. Um, we're trying to end things amicably. Um, 
And the lawyer was like, she's, well, she and her lawyer are just going to do whatever to win this, basically. And he, and it's kind of hard for Charlie to accept that they, they're not going the route that they thought they would. Um but then, it, but then at the end, they they seem to be on good terms once the whole legal system is out of the way. So, yeah, mm. I can... Well, it, it also made me think, like, could they both have been told that they're going to be at each other's throats and that they need to defend in a similar way? Yeah. Because that is quite an easy way for the lawyers to make more money. And, you know, if it ends up in court, great, it's just more pay for them, so... Mm, you know, I, I think I got that impression. I don't think we explicitly saw it with Nora, but you can sort of imply that from the circumstances. You'd have, you'd imagine that somewhere behind the scenes, Nora is going, "Well, he's going to be at your throat. He's going to try and take all yeah. of your stuff," and they're really just being pitted against each other by third parties who just want to profit well, off of it. You kind of see it when. Nicole says, well, Charlie isn't a bad person. And then yeah. uh, Nora kind of says snarkily, like, oh, well, of course, they're, they're not bad people. And Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of twisting people's outlooks on other things. And quite an uh, important line from one of the lawyers, I think it was called Ted, uh, was we need to reshape the narrative when he was talking to Charlie. Yeah. Kind of saying that their entire relationship is a story that um, is, so which implies that it was almost fake. Or at least yeah. the way it's presented in courts yeah. is fake. I think um, both characters in a way are sort of overwhelmed by the legal system and the actual procedures of being divorced, which they didn't fully anticipate, because for um, Charlie, you have uh, he sort of the logistics just seem so trivial. He sort of the thing about the fact that he's limited to which lawyers he can see. He he just sees as completely unnecessary, and also with uh, Nicole, you have scene where she's sort of talking about um, how she is as a parent and how he is and in that scene you can see her being overwhelmed by the restrictions on things she can and can't say and how they they do have to act different in court and they're almost yeah. suppressed of the voice that, that truly of... Um, sort of represents situation that was great the way it starts off where you it's a, just a close-up of nicole and she kind of goes through the interview and it's only mm. uh at the end where it kind of pulls back and reveals that it's a practice with the lawyers and they're like no you can't say any of that yeah because uh, you've got to be a perfect mother and but they accept flawed fathers which is is which is quite true really that I, I suppose that there's a lot more leniency on fathers throughout, uh, at least currently. In fact, throughout history, really. Because um, I, th I think she says, like, uh, good fathers were only invented in the last 30 years. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it is true that there's a lot more pressure on mothers um, to be good parents. And that kind of shows where their uh, case comes from later on. And because she's, which also it can explain why she seems to be controlling almost of Henry. Hmm. Because he feels he has to be uh, shown as the better parent, and they, you know, they use like ridiculous things in court, like how Charlie hadn't had the booster seat in the car installed properly because yeah. the rental company told him that he'd uh, had it done. And, yeah, you know, and then you feel awful at Nicole for uh, sharing that, and then Charlie's lawyers say that uh, Nicole is basically an alcoholic because she said that <laughs> she'd time. had a few like wines before That's putting Henry to bed. And, you, and then you can't believe Charlie told them that. And, you know, it's kind of, uh, it, it just, they, I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty terrible for both of them. That's also why the, the scene where they confront each other, which ends in that really emotional climax is so emphatic because, um, that's the that's really the scene where everything's stripped down and they just speak their minds without having to speak through their lawyers who can twist the truth and sort of use any little minute detail to try and offend the other person. Yeah, it's like unfiltered. It's not with any other motive than just trying to express how they feel. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I want to talk about more cinematography moments, like I was about to say when that. they were fixing the gate, and then they're, they're sliding the gate between them, and then they uh, the editing really helps. There's really quick close-ups of both their faces; they kind of look at each other, and then the gate slides between them. Yeah, yeah that uh, was... it's really good at just getting shots that kind of gut wrenching and kind of make you feel awful these things wedged in between them and there's another one where uh charlie was leaving with henry and then uh just after he's been served and nicole uh basically just goes like charlie to tell him something as he's leaving and he like really quickly says yes and there's a uh quick close-up of his face uh and his eyes are like really wide and he's obviously in desperation looking for something good yeah, uh, and you just feel really bad. Is that the is... final shot? Or is that? Oh no, that was that was early on. Just oh, when right. he's been served with the papers. Oh yeah. Hmm. Uh, That's sort of similar with the the last shot where he stops and he ties his lace. It's sort of showing that eternal figure and the fact that there's still closeness there. That's yeah. been able to stay, never mind the divorce and everything they've gone through. Mm. It was also quite impactful that before of all, before all of that, um, it was shown like that Charlie was interacting with all of the people in Nicole's life, including her new boyfriend. It was just like, send me that article or something. So there's not really mm. like any like um jealousy there i guess or like resentment i guess um 
he just accepts yeah. that these are figures in Charlie's and uh, Henry's life as well, and so he needs to just accept them for who they are. Um, and similarly with Nicole, uh, you know, helping him join in with what they were doing for Halloween, and she obviously also doesn't hate him, and the tying yeah. his laces thing at the end. So it kind of shows they're both still okay with each other. Yeah, it's like, I'm not sure I'd call it a happy ending, but it's, I guess, cathartic after the um, the gruelling legal proceedings of the whole film. It's just nice to know that um, mm. everyone's content with how things are. Um, and um, Charlie yeah. still has yeah. both people in his life. There's no res- there's no resentments between the people. Um, I may have slightly cried when uh, Charlie was reading the wild of Charlie letter at the end. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was heart wrenching. Yeah, it's, but, it's, uh, ugh, but you it's also so get like, like you also. I think something that's quite interesting is seeing the effects that uh, the situations had on Henry because. It's not entirely stable, and he seems quite, I don't know, he just seems quite affected by what's gone on, and I think that is quite an interesting analysis of the effects of divorce on a young child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's a few other things we could talk about. Um, let's start with the music. What, what did you think of the music by uh, Randy Newman? Um, I, I I really like I really like the soundtrack. I think it's yeah. amazing. I have uh, listened to it separately. I've downloaded it and just listened to it by itself before. Just because it is so good, it like really suits the tone of each scene and kind of adds this melancholy tone. Oh, there was also, a... it's it's just it's really good. There was definitely one particular part I can't remember. I can't remember if I'm remembering this wrong, but I feel it was probably in the you know the the apartment scene where it's just the two of them. I think it was there, and there were just like these violins in the backgrounds. Um, it was, it wasn't loud. It wasn't bombastic. It was just subtle, and it was there, and it was enough to really just make you feel so bad for that. Like this relationship had deteriorated to this point. Mm. It's like. Yeah, it's so good at enhancing the emotional impact of what's going on on the screen. Yeah. There's uh, also the soundtrack choices or soundtrack where uh, both of them sing each other's songs are really good. Oh, and yeah. also the acting definitely helps. Like uh, Adam Driver's acting when he's singing Being Alive is you just feel really bad for it. He's obviously devastated. You can kind of see his loneliness and desperation of what's going on in his performance and that uh and, and the lyrics really help as well. Oh, I can't remember. Is it's saying that he you know he does want someone to 
uh, hurt him too bad and hold him too close and you know make sure it cause him to not have enough sleep uh, and you just can't help but feel bad. Yeah, I was a little um, worried that that would turn into a bit of a cliche where it's someone singing on screen and the lyrics are um, oddly relevant to what's going on. But I don't know, just something about that just made that really kind of beautiful in a way. Just that he... Mm. That yes, I, I guess it is a cliche in the sense that he's singing um, about stuff that's far too relevant to him but his performance and just if you just looked at his eyes he you could just des- see that the, the desperation and loneliness there i think um, there's quite a few instances where verge is on being too cliche or predictable and mm. i've seen a few critiques of the film saying that characters are stereotypes or almost caricatures but I do think from the acting and like the stylistic choices, it, it for me at least, it never comes too cliche or predictable. Yeah, it didn't feel yeah. like a standard rom com where you could just um know what's gonna happen at the end of the movie two minutes in. Um you got yeah. you were fed enough to sort of predicted a little bit but um it wasn't ever like cringe inducing it wasn't you never felt like oh god it's gonna do this isn't it well i don't think the point is necessarily what is going to happen i think it's more to do with characters reactions to it because you sort of realize from the start that divorce is going to be inevitable and yet you always uh, sort of invested in the characterization that's presented, and just it's not—it's not based necessarily solely on the narrative or the actual plot. It's more to do with the characters, and that way, I think it, it's able to avoid being too cliche just because of the of um, style that was chosen. Mm. Mm. something I found quite interesting was if you look at the poster for the movie and it's the image is also on the thumbnail for this video um, it's got really bright colours and it's got like um, a picture of uh, Charlie, Nicole and Henry sort of embracing and smiling and being happy but there's n- I don't think there's ever a moment in this film where you ever see the three of them genuinely happy together. So maybe in the, what I love about section at the start, but I can't um, actually remember. I don't know. Maybe, but then again, that's kind of invalidated when you pull back and it's, um, the, the reality of like the counselor, uh, the mediator and, Nicole refusing to say hers. I just think it's weird that with like the title marriage story and this sort of positive um, image that's on all of the promotional materials, when in reality it's, uh, well, one of the reviews on IMDb is divorce story would be a more apt title. Um, 
and it's really about more i guess the separation and the divide between the parents and trying to make that work with henry i just kind of thought it was kind of weird that is quite interesting because like even it, it says the description says it's about a marriage breaking up and a family staying together and i think a lot of the as you say like the post and the thumbnail things like that they try to take an optimistic slant on it uh, whereas a lot of the genuine moments of happiness which are mostly through those flashbacks and the things during the introduction they almost enforced and they almost illustrate the precarious nature of the marriage uh, and the sort of just a distraction from that. But I think it's quite interesting to look at the fact that there is optimism in this very, um, well, emotional film. Uh, it, it has a very, well, at heart, has a very negative, um, a negative like style and mm, definitely, yeah. Um, well, I guess we've got we've got a few other things to discuss. So, is there any, any anything else you'd like to say before we wrap it up in uh, your opinions? I just want to say the two songs that the characters sing are both from the same musical. Same play, oh. so that's cool. Um, also, the fight scene took 50 takes Damn. in the office. Because apparently it's a one take, which uh, I didn't realise. I don't know if it's a long shot or if they, like, maybe they, they were using multiple cameras. There certainly weren't a lot of cuts. That I, def- I like yeah. that about that scene. You, yeah. I think a lot of directors would have had it um, where you cut to a close-up of someone's face and they say a line and then cut to the other person's face and this sort of back and forth. But I think a lot mm. of the... A lot of the but, cinematography there was just um, one shot of the whole room on both of them. Yeah. And Adam Driver had to punch the wall 15 times. Uh, <laughs> how, how do they patch it up? Did they get a new uh, wall? It's a breakaway wall, so yeah. But um, apparently at one point he nearly hit through the wall behind the breakaway wall because he punched so hard but uh, one of the reasons that the film feels so genuine is because Noah Bornbach uh, I can't pronounce his name Bornbach I don't know uh, who's the writer director and producer uh, is based on his divorce with Jennifer Jason Lee in 2013 so which is why it kind of feels so real and he also consulted with divorce lawyers about the divorce process and even uh, apparently asked them what they'd use in their case uh, against Charlie and against Nicole, which is quite interesting. But yeah. uh, his ex-wife, Jennifer Jason Lee, who is also a very accomplished actor, um, who I believe recently has been an atypical, which uh, is really good. But... Uh, she has apparently read the script, seen the film, and likes it also. So there you go. That's pretty groovy. Yeah. I think it, it does a good job of feeling authentic, but not... I mean, if he has a lot of... has done a lot of research and knows a lot about, like, the technicalities of divorce, it 
it doesn't do it where it sort of it doesn't feel like you're in like a court case yourself and it it, it avoids sort of those dull moments yeah it, it's more of a focus on characters without obviously having some of the logistics of it and but it's more focused on their reaction rather than the lawyers and stuff like that mm. yeah it, you were always i guess entertained there was never really a, a dull moment yeah so we should we summarize and give ratings then yeah so yeah who wants to go first okay i guess i will uh um, yeah go on <laughs> So I thought it was good. There were a lot of um, great points about it. I don't think it's... I wouldn't necessarily say it's great or outstanding. Um, so I've got the list of all of the ratings. Um, I'm thinking sort of early sevens. So it's it's better than A Quiet Place, I think. Uh We'll ignore Psychoville because that was 2018. <laughs> um, maybe 7.6 because I liked You Were Never Really Here, maybe a bit more. Mm. Yeah. Which was a 7.7. For me, it's, um, it's anything like what we've done so far because it's more of an emotional depiction of something quite grounded to reality um, yeah and i know that it is genuinely well received just because of sort of the direction that was taken and the acting in particular and i really did enjoy it so i'll probably give it a 7.8 Ooh, mm. on par with uh, this is my second time watching this, and it does hold up on a rewatch, which is quite interesting because it's such like a depressing thing to watch. But yeah. I still really enjoyed it uh, on my rewatch. Uh, I actually, I, I really liked the you know the writing and the cinematography. The act, all the acting is brilliant, uh, and the soundtrack and everything. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm gonna give it an eight. I'm gonna be back to the highest rater. But Ooh. yeah, after watching it again, I've realised just how much I enjoy it, and it's just so great. So yeah. Yeah. Groovy. Seven point eight. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about right. Cool. So, um. If you, if there are any listeners who've actually been listening for quite a while, you'll remember a while back we did a submission spotlight. We wasn't called that then. We've only called, coined the term more recently. But basically, we mm. um, we got messaged by a band called Crow Buntry, and we reviewed a couple of their songs. Um, we extended the offer to anyone, any listeners. You can just send in your own works of entertainment. Um, and we'll we'll review it for you. Um, we've had this one in the works pretty much since episode eleven, but um, yeah. we only got round to reading it recently. It is the novel, and I'm going to 
Tom, you can pronounce it correctly. Maladicus. Ye by Charles F. That sounds right. Yeah. Charles F. Sorry, Charles, for taking so long. <laughs> yeah, we do actually yeah. read it. Apologize. We were worried that it would take too long, and then we all read it within a week. So <laughs> yeah, I read it in two days. <laughs> I read it. In I can't read very fast, so I didn't. <laughs> I read it in about a day. I read too slow. I'm sorry. It took it did it took me about six days. So it's pretty engrossing. Yeah. Mm. Um it really wasn't what I was expecting with like No, it wasn't for me either. It was a lot more of a like a character study than spooky ghosts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um yeah. I feel like the the cover kind of gave me that um impression that it would be more like uh, I don't know, just a haunted yeah. house story or something. When in reality it's not got like the most complex story. It's really just um, a study into a lot of different characters and how they have had trauma in their lives and how that's being played on by the evil spirit Maladicus. Um, mm. Should we give a quick breakdown of the plot? Yeah, cool. We can be very quick. Uh, do we? We don't want to spoil it though, because we want everyone to get it. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just give it. So basically, it follows uh, both flank, a group Franklin. called the Investigative Paranormal Society, who's a group of three more elderly men. So they're in their sixties: Roosevelt, Sam, and Jeremy, who investigate paranormal things. Um, and there's this evil guy from the Roman times who basically becomes a demon called Maladicus and it follows his like uh, plots through the ages and also the IPS Investigative Paranormal Society trying to uh, you know destroy him and get rid of him because he's uh, tormenting a, a woman and her niece so that's the basic premise yeah it's yeah. a bit uh, weird basically he's like a sadistic like, sociopath kind of who is caught in this place known as the in-between and he's manifested in like a statue that every it, basically throughout it there's odd chapters that tell of people that came into contact with this statue and they all died in some way or some trauma or tragedy happened to them uh, and then Basically, there's this character called Helen, and uh, she comes across this statue, and it's the case of her niece that the IPS have to um, look into throughout the book. Mm. Yeah. There's great themes about like accepting guilt uh, and trauma after death of loved ones that are explored pretty well and i think the writing really excels when kind of doing flashback almost stories mm. uh which is interesting I, I was the time, just... it's not actually done through flashbacks it's sort of dream sequences or oh yeah they sort of see the ghost of them or something which i think it it's able to like heighten the as you say, looking back at these characters, but then it also a enables the character development of 
like Roosevelt, for instance, because it's sort of that question of is he insane or is he just traumatized? And I think, although at times it can be detrimental that there's so many, well, there's not so many, but quite a few different characters are sort of introduced along the way, and then there's there's a few characters, there's a few chapters that uh, offer like an insight on their backstory, but. I think that is it's a it's a very effective way of looking at their reaction to horrific events surrounding them. Mm. I also really liked how, um, as the story progressed, you weren't really given all of the details about Maladai because straight off there was sort of this parallel storyline um, in the background, which only really catches up about halfway through the novel of. Um, this evil Roman um, Maladicus who gets killed goes to this place called the in-between and sort of manifests inside this other evil spirit called uh, they and then how that how he's then transferred into the statue and how that statue goes through a lot of different people's hands and eventually um, catches up with the the IPS and all of that stuff. That's I like that. Mm. Yeah. Something else that he does quite effectively, there's a few minor characters like Father Bruno. And mm. there's a few other people that help out with the IPS. And he basically I think something that I enjoyed those chapters that offer um, like the backstory of them and even though if they just play a really minimal role in the plot they're still able to you're still able to relate to them and well actually I won't say that because that's a bit of a spoiler yeah yeah even the minor characters are fleshed out enough that you can relate to them um, I guess do you have any constructive criticism? Um, uh, it was really good for a first book because it's the first book he's ever written. Uh, only like a few moments was a, a couple lines of dialogue felt a bit, uh, I don't know, stilted. I, I don't know how you do it. Just felt a bit off, but I, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. easily overlooked. And I also just wish that uh, he had an editor, but obviously he's just written all of this himself and independently published it. Yeah, uh, just because there are a few little editing mistakes, but I mean, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only, the only thing. thing... That... Oh, <laughs> go on. Oh, oh, I was just gonna say. <laughs> go um, the only thing for me, slightly, is that sometimes um, the the range of characters. I know I said that I enjoy uh, the characterization of some of the minor characters and stuff, but sometimes it can feel a bit forced and sometimes it can sort of diminish the uh, impact of like Roosevelt or Sam, who are inherently more interesting. Yeah. It's just sometimes when you introduce... Well, I actually did enjoy uh, Patrick, but until about probably over halfway through the novel I was just sort of thinking why who is he what relevance does he serve to the plot 
Yeah. I think and I think the only thing for me was there were a lot of characters introduced and it wasn't apart from the 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 main characters of Roosevelt, um Sam, Jeremy, uh and Helen. Uh you there were parts where I got a little bit confused, especially when it was talking about the statue. I was like, oh, is this another character? Do I need to remember their name about them as well? Oh, no, never mind. Um, mm. Which I think, which is just a little nitpick. Um, but it, it seemed like you were bombarded with a lot of characters. Um, but to be fair, this is the first in a what's currently a two-book series. So for all we know, the second book might have solved a few of these. Um, yeah, I definitely want to read the second book at some point. Um, mm. So yeah, um, go and read Maladicus. You can uh, read it on Kindle. Um, you can also buy a paperback from Amazon. Um, do we have a link in the description, Ben? We do indeed. Uh, yeah, there you and go. it's independently published, so you know, go and support him. Um, and it's quite reasonably priced as well. For an ebook, it's you can buy it for only two thirty, two pounds thirty, which is very reasonable. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. Thanks for sending us that, Charles. Um, if you have, yes. if you're a creator yourself, if you're a, if you're a writer or a, um, a short filmmaker or a musician or whatever whatever just send it in um we'll we'd love to review your work on future episodes hopefully we won't delay it for like a month like with uh charles's but um sorry <laughs> you know it's just so that um we needed time to contemplate everything and think it through and we wanted to oh yeah, yeah. make it really highly anticipated just like when we left the podcast for two years <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that again then review the second book of Charles's yeah <laughs> um okay so we've we're on 55 minutes we could do one of two things we could either give recommendations or talk about Comic Con I guess that's up to you probably uh, don't I don't know it, uh, it, it depends I've only watched a bit of Comic Con I don't know how much Ollie's watched of it no, not much. I've I mean, we can do recommendations think, then. Yeah, just so listeners know that when was it last? Uh, it was last, last week, Sunday. I believe. Yeah, it, it was like Wednesday to Sunday. Because this, like our previous episode was pre-recorded, so it's been ages since we've actually done an episode. Yeah, but I don't yeah. think there was that significant announcements. Uh, I mean, there's. Hope, I'm hoping Truth Seekers will be good because it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I'm just crossing my fingers. Yeah. Don't, don't do it bad, but uh, yeah. Should we do recommendations then? Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'll, shall, I'll go first then. Um, recently, season two of a show that I really like, season one of, came out, and it's also good. It's. A Netflix original, it's a German one called another, and I've already recommended a German Netflix show, but uh, another one 
which is called How to Sell Drugs Online Fast. Uh, there are now in total only 12 episodes and they're all between 30 and 35 minutes long. So it's really easy to just binge. Uh, and it's got a really great editing. I mean, the editing's amazing. Uh, it's very fast paced, so you're not going to get bored. It's uh, consistently funny and it's got uh, engaging characters for you to, uh, I, I won't say root for. <laughs> Because they basically have a downward spiral, but uh, yeah, it's really good. And if you're up for, I don't know, if you want to sound cool and say you watch something foreign, then <laughs> it will also appeal to you. But uh, it's just really entertaining and funny, and uh, I had a blast. So watch it. Wow. Can you speak German though? Uh, yes. <laughs> what you learn is that a lot of German people speak English randomly for certain phrases. It's pretty wild. I think a lot of foreign languages do that. They'll just speak in their language, but then there'll be a, a bit in English. They just randomly insert in. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Do you have anything, Ollie? Um. Well, I started watching... I think I've watched the first five or six episodes of Altered Carbon, which is a Netflix sci-fi, basically about in a dystopian society where consciousness is digital, digit, I can't speak, digitized, and um, basically somebody's brought back to solve the murder of this rich person. And because you brought back in different sleeves and it's, it's, it's all done on class system based on whether you can afford to sort of be uh, brought back to life or not. So it's very much to do with money. And it follows the story of, as I say, this, well, he was like a terrorist beforehand and, um, it like follows his story trying to solve this murder, but also the complications along the way. It's, I think it's based on, it might be a trilogy of books, and I know that the second season isn't very well reviewed, but from what I've seen so far, I would recommend it. I think it's, it's quite thought-provoking and very enjoyable. Cool. Groovy. Um... Yeah, I'm great and I don't have anything, so <laughs> I'm great like that. Um, ben just doesn't like anything. No, That's I'm, why I'm, he always makes everything so low. Yeah, I'm, I'm the bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I've, I've been listening to, because I, I watched the whole of the American office recently, because I watched the British one and then tried to check out the American one. And I watched that and quite enjoyed that. Um, and then I've also, because of that, I've been listening to, there's this podcast that uh, the actors of Angela and Pam do. It's called Office Ladies. It's pretty cool. They just like go through some oh, yeah. behind the scenes stuff. I've I've been listening to... Uh, the other office behind the scenes podcast. Yeah, there's there's two of them. The I'll... Brian Bortgartner called 
I can't remember what it's called. Oh, it's called an oral history of the yeah, office. Yeah, oral history. That's also good. Yeah. So there's 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 two to pick from if you're into the office. I guess. Yeah. Cool. Um. Well, so we actually filled the episode up this time with the submission spotlight. That is cool. Yeah. Let's go. Um. Thanks again to Charles F. French for the novel Maladicus. Um remember if you'd like to submit something uh you're more than welcome to do so you can find us on our website uh entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com we're also on twitter and instagram at ev podcast and it's also in the description um and something we've launched recently is the mailing list so basically just go to our website on the front page you can enter your email and you'll be added to the mailing list um which we basically just started because um you can now get we're giving people on the mailing list access to like the schedule um so you can see what we're going to be doing uh in advance and uh also we'll we'll be creating a master list of all of our recommendations we've ever done so with links to like go and listen or watch or buy them um so that's pretty cool um from my unbiased opinion um and also it's just like an interactive way to talk to you guys you're more than welcome to reply to any email with any uh well stuff you like stuff you didn't like would love constructive criticism please please leave reviews that would be cool um you can yeah. do that on the main list. You could just leave a comment or just message us um, however you want to. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to show this and say like and subscribe because we've been on nine subscribers since we started up again on YouTube. Yeah, it's so sad. Turn notifications on. Slam that yeah. notification bell. <laughs> Turn it to all notifications. So you yeah. know we're live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you want that blade on the 2049 episode yeah you better subscribe 50 subscribers on youtube or 50 listeners on podcast platforms and most of all share us with your friends and family because that's probably the best way to get free promotion so indeed uh, thanks for listening thanks again to charles f french and all right see you all right, all right see you, see you.